So last October, I had the opportunity to travel to Vienna, Austria. Has anyone in here ever been to Vienna? If you have, you know it is absolutely a beautiful, fantastic city full of art museums and pastries everywhere you look. <laughs> really, it is. And uh, as part of the conference that I went to, I also gave myself a little bit of time to kind of walk around and experience the city. Uh, and so I wandered into one of the most well-known art museums. And there I saw that they had the largest collection of Gustav Klimt paintings. Now, I had seen Gustav Klimt on walls of friends' houses and posters and reprints and in different books. But to be honest, it was never my type of art. Honestly, I kind of thought he was a bit cheesy. But I thought, well, uh, I'll give it a go anyway. Do we have the picture of the... Uh, of the and one of his most well-known pictures is this, the kiss. Do you recognize it? It's kind of a well-known picture that maybe you've seen around. And so I thought, well, if, there, if this is at the art gallery, it is well-known, I'm going to give it a go and at least go see it. So I paid the money and I walked through this art gallery, and it's a really well-curated gallery, and at the very end, the last room is the Gustav Klimt room. And I walk in, and instantly my eyes are drawn to the wall at the far ends. And they've taken this large, expansive wall, and they've painted it completely black, and in the middle of it, with all light shining onto it, they've put this picture, the kiss. And it kind of shocked me a bit, because I thought I had seen it. I thought I knew about it. But I kind of found myself being drawn to it, and I wandered towards it. And as I stood there looking at it, I realized that what I thought I knew about this picture, based on prints on people's walls, was not true at all. In fact, this is not just a painting, but it's a whole collage of different textures and colors that are put together. And it was mesmerizing as the gold kind of glowed out at me. And I stood there with my, uh, my mouth dropped open. And it was so busy around this picture that I had to, you know, be kind of shoved to the side. And as I moved around it, I saw it in new ways and new angles, and it just came to life. The thing is, this picture that was at once kind of a cheesy picture on someone's wall, all of a sudden struck me as beautiful and wonderful and stunning. Now it's one of my favorite pictures. Not that I put a print of it on my wall, but it's really nice. In the same way today, we've got the story of the transfiguration. And we've got these disciples who know Jesus, and they've walked with him, and they have an idea of who Jesus is. They see him day in and day out. But today, as they climb that mountain and they're on the top, there's a transfiguration that happens. And in a sense, they see him for the first time. There's something that is different about them as their eyes are open, and they get him in a completely new and different way, in the same way that I experienced this picture. Today, we want to take a look at this, and we want to, we want to look at this mountain and see how in Jesus, heaven and earth collide. They come together and dwell the divinity of Jesus and the manhood of Jesus together on top of that mountain. We want to look at what we can know about Jesus, the Jesus who is man and our knowledge. And we want to look at the mystery of Jesus, one who is beyond us and one that we can't know. So we want to explore this, the knowledge and the mystery of Jesus. Let me just say a word of prayer. Lord, as we are here in exploring this transfiguration, speak to us about you, Jesus. Speak to us about who we can know and grow in knowing and who is beyond us. 
whose glory is something we can barely comprehend. We ask that, Holy Spirit, you would have your way with our hearts today. In your name, amen. So uh, we'll start with the knowledge of Jesus. And as I kind of sat in and looked at this passage and thought about it over and over again, about this Jesus who was radiant and his glory was like light coming off, there was a question that came to me and it was this. Why doesn't Jesus do this all the time? Surely for the sake of Christianity and believers, it would be a lot simpler if he created the world and then stepped into the world as a glowing Jesus so that everyone could see it, could see him. And then he just kind of stayed on the earth, continuing to glow, so that throughout every generation, we continue to see Jesus. Wouldn't that make Christianity a lot simpler? People could say, I'm an atheist. And we're like, well, have you seen glowing Jesus? He's there. Look at him. He's right there. We all should see him. Because the whole thing, the whole arguments that we have today is, well, I don't really believe because I haven't seen him. Can we see him? So why? Why don't we see this Jesus at all times? Why only now? As I think about this and I looked at it, I think the reason is relationship. You see, Jesus was more than just a distant God who wanted to just show himself in light. He was also about coming down in flesh in order to know people, in order to have relationship, in order to show people how to live. You see, if God is just there and just distant on a mountaintop, we still don't have the answers to how to live our life. But Jesus in flesh begins to walk through the daily routines of life and shows us how to live. A great quote I have here is from Catherine Green McRae, who has written a Lent book for this year called I Am With You. She says, if there is a God who can truly be present, it would not be a God defined by a set of concepts or constructs of ideas. Presence only comes through relationship and encounter. Presence only comes through relationship and encounter. There is something about Jesus coming in flesh and being human that allows, therefore, his presence to be, his encounter and showing us how to live. And it could be easy for us to look at this and say, but John, surely this story of the transfiguration is not about his flesh, but it's about his deity. It's about his glory. And I think it's too easy to miss that, this piece. Because if you think about it, in the midst of this mountaintop with Jesus glowing in his glory and Peter wanting to start a construction project and, and missing the thing completely, this cloud comes down and we have the voice of God. In the midst of all this, God speaks to his people. And when God speaks, we have to listen. He says this. He says, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. The command of God is for those disciples, and it is listen to him. He doesn't say just be embraced by this emotional experience. He gives them a very concrete thing to do. Look. Listen to him. Use your physicality to encounter Jesus. This is the command of God. Listen to him. The great thing is that they can listen to him because they're walking with him. This is the command of God. Look at Jesus. Look at my son. We're showing you how to live here. If we think of this Jesus as we've even walked through a series of sermons on this as we look at Matthew, I think it helps us to ourselves 
listen to him and who he was. We think of Jesus the walking uh, and having a Roman soldier come up to him. And Jesus realizing he is saying that he has more authority than even the structures of the time. And in that moment, he heals in the midst of his authority. Someone who has authority but also cares for a servant. In fact, we have Jesus who goes on a boat and the storm is whipped up and he calms it because he's the power to do it. But at the same time, he saves his friends. He's a God who can calm a storm but cares for his friends. As we listen to him, he goes to the other side and Jesus is someone that has the power to cast out demons and control the spiritual world. And yet he also restores a man's dignity, restores a man's life that has been devastated by the demonic. We continue to listen to Jesus. We see him as someone that can forgive sins. But in such a way as to take someone who is troubled by the things they have done and bring ultimate forgiveness. Something that only God can do, Jesus does. But it also changes this man's life. As we keep going, we see Jesus as the one who calls a tax collector someone on the outside, someone who is rubbish in their system. And he goes and he eats with sinners. Jesus, the one who calls those on the outside to be his friends, to be close to him. We see Jesus as the one who is Lord of the Sabbath. That isn't about the constructs of man, but he changes it all around. And he says, I am the one that is most important here. You see, in each one of these stories, we have Jesus who is big enough to change the concepts of everyone that is following him. And yet, it is always people that are impacted. People are transformed by this. People who come into contact with Jesus have their lives changed. Not just in a concept, but in a real way that impacts their life. Jesus shows us how to live life. Thing is, I think that this word from God, listen to him, is not changed from that mountaintop for us now today. We have a world that is crying out for God, whether they know it or not. It's saying, how do we live? How do we operate in this world? Who is God? If he is real, what would he look like? For us today, it's the same Listen to him. Look back to Jesus, the one who is our anchor, the one who shows us physically in real ways how to live, how to walk. He became man to enter into relationship with us and show us a way. It is Jesus who shows us how to live. If that's the knowledge that we can grow in, we can grow in the knowledge of a God that we can see he was human that shows us a way. There is also on this mountaintop a mystery. When as I was thinking about you know, studying this, I was thinking about a time when I was playing at a friend's house, and I was probably about 14 years old. And this was way before mobile phones were ever even a concept in someone's mind. So my mom had to call the house. This is a, what a crazy story. They're calling the house. How did that happen? And she said, John, this storm is coming. The storm that's been building all day is coming. You need to get home now. And where I come from in America, storms aren't like here where they just kind of come and no one expects it, so you have to dress in layers. They build all day long. They roll in and everyone gets ready for it. 
So I jumped on my bike, and I rode home as fast as I could on my bike. And I came out of this path, and I came to this lake that I had to, to ride around. And I stood there, and it was the most unique experience. Behind me, it was sunny and wonderful, and the rays of light were shining down and illuminating the trees green. But in front of me was blackness. As this storm that was bigger than I could see was rolling in. And even as I stood there in front of this storm, I could feel the temperature dropping and the wind increasing. I knew I was alone at the head of this storm. And probably what I should have done is just continue to ride really hard to get home to beat this storm. But there's something significant about this moment. I got off my bike at 14 and I just stood there. And I looked at this power and I encountered God in the midst of this storm. I just stood there and I said, I am not you. I felt small and tiny. And the God who I served all of a sudden felt much bigger than I had ever thought about before. What I felt then was the mystery of God. Who are you that is so different than me? There was mystery, there was awe and wonder. As we go back to that mountain, there is awe and wonder. As Jesus, who they know, who they've walked up that mountain with, all of a sudden is transfigured, and he begins to glow and radiate light. The first time they truly see Jesus' divinity, the the first time they truly see Jesus as God, the best they can do is fall down and shade their eyes because the light coming forth is so bright. A quote by Eugene Peterson when he talks about the mystery, he says, mystery is not the absence of meaning, but the presence of more meaning than we can comprehend. In Jesus, they saw him as someone they could not comprehend, as his perfect holiness came forth, as his godness, as his perfection radiated out. They had to shield their eyes. Because you see, God, Jesus is not just man, he is God. And God is one that we cannot comprehend. He is not like us. But this transfiguration, I believe, ultimately was not for Jesus' sake. Because if we look back, Jesus always knew exactly who he was. He was always clear on the fact that he was God. This wasn't something where he began to glow and he looked down and he said, oh my gosh, I think I might be God. No, he knew who he was. But he brought his core disciples up, Peter, James, and John, because they needed to see that he was God. You see, there was purpose in the transfiguration. They needed to see that he was the Messiah they had been looking for. They needed to see that he was standing among the, the Moses and Elijah the ones that were the most important people in their faith, and they came to him, that he was, had supremacy over the law and the prophets. They needed to see that he was the one they had been looking for. They had to see this. They had to see it beyond a question of a doubt. And there's purpose in this, because not long after this, Jesus would turn from just miracles, and he would turn to Jerusalem, and he would go to the cross. And there was a time when Jesus was no longer radiating glory, but instead he was taking the darkness of the world onto himself. And they had to see that Jesus 
was Messiah because this made no sense to them. The mystery of God, they had no idea what his plans and purposes were. They would have been confused. They would have had to think back to this memory, this moment when they saw him as God on the cross. They would have had to have known Jesus as Messiah. They would have had to have known him as God, not just man. Because going past the cross, we see that they had to deal with persecution after persecution. And many of them were killed and martyred for Jesus. And they wouldn't have had any sense of what was happening unless they could think back and say, hold on. Look at this. Jesus, we know him. We've seen his glory. This is God. You see, Jesus' plans and purposes were beyond them. And today as well, it's so easy for us to make Jesus just the man that we can kind of know. But the truth is that Jesus is also the God who is enthroned on high, who is full of glory and perfection. He is beyond us, and his purposes are not ones that we can understand. It's so easy today in our world to look at numbers that come back and say, well, what about the church? It seems to be declining in numbers. I would say this, the church declining in numbers in no way diminishes the glory of God. It does not. Regardless of how many people are in pews, God is still God. He's still God in our lives. Regardless of the things that we think we can understand, the purposes that we don't even know, he is still God. His glory is still real. And you see, beyond our own lives, I think the church today, meaning the church in the West, needs to have a transformation of the glory of God again. We need to stop worrying about where we think our numbers are and start focusing on the glory of God, the God who has purposes and has plans. That's what we need. Maybe we miss that sometimes and we come here and it's really manageable. Our faith is something that we really know how to manage. But when's the last time that you've come in and experienced the awe and wonder of the glory of God? That is something that transforms a life well beyond a Sunday morning. Whether it's a time of prayer or maybe even walking into a cathedral, we need the glory of God in our lives. So we have this Jesus on this mountain who is both flesh and man that we can understand and know, but he's also God, and there's a mystery there. And here are the two pieces that come together. And I encourage us that we look at our lives and we ask ourselves, do we have both pieces of Jesus in our lives? Do we have both the, are we growing knowledge of who God is and asking the the questions of how we can live our daily life? But do we also have the worship and, and glory of God as well? The Archbishop of Canterbury put out, he said, this Lent, this is what he wrote, this Lent, let's pray for a fresh experience of God's thoughts and ways in our life and for the humility to allow ourselves to be shaped by them them. I'll read it again. This Lent, let's pray for a fresh experience of God's thoughts and ways in our life, and for the humility to allow ourselves to be shaped by them. This is Lent as we prepare for Jesus on that cross. I encourage you to ask for a fresh experience 
of God's thoughts and ways in your life. In fact, in a moment, as we come before the communion table and remember Jesus, I encourage you to say, God, give me that fresh experience of your ways and your thoughts as we encounter the Jesus whose physical blood was shed and body torn, but as we remember as he's here in the midst of us in his glory.